So let's go ahead to Hebrews chapter 11. And let's go down to one verse I'm going to read. We'll look at more than one verse here this evening. But we're going to focus on one to, uh, just here for a moment. And then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 13 says, These all died in faith. These all being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Abraham's wife, Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 describes some of the people here in Hebrews chapter 11 as strangers and pilgrims. You know, when we hear the word pilgrims, normally we about, if you're like me, pretty much all you think of is you go back and you start thinking, you think about uh, elementary school and whatever you learned in elementary school about, uh, you know, the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower in the 1600s, about them coming over and their interaction with the Indians and about, you know, Samoset and Squanto and Massasoit and, and all the different, um, you know, uh, William Bruce, uh, Brewster and uh, Bradford and all these different kinds of people. And, you know, when we hear about pilgrims, I don't know about you. That's what I think about. I think about, uh, you know, the, the, typically what we think about around Thanksgiving time. But the Bible uses the word pilgrim to describe a certain group of people. Uh, he gives a us a bunch of examples here in Hebrews 11, a lot of men as well as some women. And uh, they were people of faith. We call Hebrews 11 uh, the, uh, the chapter, the hall of faith. And uh, just describing about how uh, men and women did great acts of faith and trusted God for certain things. And one of the things that Hebrews eleven six says is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in other words, if you are exercising faith, you're definitely pleasing God. And these were, this uh, chapter gives us all kinds of men and women that trusted God implicitly. They exercised faith and God was well pleased with these pilgrims. In other words, if you're a pilgrim, God is well pleased with you. He was, you know, Abraham is the main one that's here in this passage that we're about to look at. And I don't know about you, don't you wish that God would say about you that you are someone with whom he is well pleased? Wouldn't it be nice if God would say that about you and about me? Well, you know, God says that about pilgrims. And one of the pilgrims that he is going to just talk about here, and we're going to just look at tonight, is none other than Abraham. He was someone who is described as a stranger and a pilgrim, someone who James chapter 2 describes as a friend of God. And it was someone with whom God was well pleased because Abraham was not ashamed to be a pilgrim. Now, what exactly is a pilgrim? Well, tonight, we're going to look at a message that I've entitled, Pilgrims, God, and Your Stuff. Pilgrims, God, and Your Stuff. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at Abraham and his life. One of the things that's kind of neat, if you go back into Genesis and you read about Abraham, when we're kind of introduced to Abraham in the book of Genesis, we just all of a sudden find him, boom, you know, he's out there and he's following God. One of the things that Stephen did when just before he was martyred in Acts chapter 7, he actually let us know uh, what happened and how this came about is that, um, is that God appeared, the glory of God appeared to Abraham, Stephen said, and told him to leave his country and to leave his people and go to a land 
that I will show you. So God appears to this man, Abraham, and says, I have a plan for your life. I want you to uproot everything, and I want you to go to a new place that you've never gone before. This was God's plan. This was God's will for Abraham's life. So how does a pilgrim, Abraham, so it could be one of us today. How does a pilgrim, someone with whom God is well pleased, how does a pilgrim respond to God's plan and God's calling on his life today? First of all, the pilgrim always obeys God. Look, if you would, at verse number eight. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. So God said to him, pick up everything, leave, and go to a place that I'm going to show you in a little while. You know, what the Bible tells us is that Abraham simply obeyed. You realize what Abraham left to obey God. First of all, Abraham left the world to obey God. You know, um, uh, this city where Abraham was dwelling, Abraham lived in the city of Ur. Now, Ur was a very um, was a very expansive city. It was a great ancient city. It was located right on the Euphrates River in southern Iraq. And Ur was very advanced in writing, in, in arithmetic, in schools, in business, and in religion. It was a very advanced city for ancient times. It's very religious city. In fact, there was a ziggurat there, a three-stage ziggurat, basically a temple, and it was a temple to the god Nemu, which was the moon god, and it was a place where some very bad things happened. Uh, the temple to Nemu was a place where human sacrifices took place on a regular basis. And by the way, just so that you realize this, realize what God can do. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua in his farewell sermon tells us that Abraham, before he met God, was an idolater. Abraham was a very wealthy man, so he probably, it was probably a common thing for him to frequent the ziggurat where they offered human sacrifices to the moon god, Namu. You say, Brother Matt, are you saying that Abraham may have offered human sacrifices before he was saved? It's quite possible. You know what that means? God can save the worst of sinners. God can save the worst of sinners. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your savior, can I say something, friend? It doesn't matter how good you think you are, how bad you think you are. God loves to save sinners because that's what all of us are. We're all sinners and God loves to save sinners. But um, Abraham, once he, once God appeared to him and said, it's time for you to move. I've got a different plan for your life. He accepted, you know, that this was the, the one true God and he went out and obeyed and followed after God and he had to leave the sinfulness of his world behind him. Friend, can I just say this? If you're going to serve God and please God, you've got to leave worldliness behind. Usually when we, uh, oftentimes when we want to, um, we we want God to use us. We want God to do great things with our lives and, and use us to see great things happen, even see people get saved. But we want God to let us do it while we get to hang on to our worldliness. And God says, no, you want to be a pilgrim. A pilgrim obeys and leaves the world to obey God. But you know what also Abraham left? Abraham left extended family to obey God. 
You know, in the city of Ur, you know, people didn't, uh, it was not very common for people to say, you know, once they kind of, uh, you know, they're growing up and they're getting married and starting a family, people didn't just move away. They just really kind of built another um, another house in the complex of, uh, of the, the, this clan or that clan, whatever clan they were a part of, and they would just build more and more buildings, more and more houses. And so, and so really, if you were, especially Abraham, being a part of a big, wealthy family, um, family didn't move very far. They just, they just didn't do that. And you know what Abraham was going to have to do? He was going to have to leave extended family in order, in order to obey God's plan for his life. Can I tell you something, folks? And this is not always popular, but there is a philosophy. It's a worldly philosophy. It's not godly. It is not of the Lord. But there is a worldly philosophy out there that has entrapped Americans. And, and uh, you know, you expect the unsaved to, to subscribe to this philosophy, but it's definitely gotten it made its way into the church. And the philosophy is this. Family is everything. Do you know something? If you're a Christian, family is not everything. God is everything. By the way, if you make family everything, you may end up finding that you lose your family. Because when family takes a little bit higher precedence over God, look out. Because when you replace God with something else, that's called an idol. And God does not respond well to idolatry. So, so Abraham said, well, you know what? I'm going to have, now he took his, you know, he took his wife, he took his children, he took some other family members with him, but he had to leave his clan. You know, the, his unsaved family would have said, are you crazy? Why in the world would you want to leave all this to, to go after this, this new God that you say appeared to him? But Abraham, what was more important to him was that he would go out and, and go out and obey God. But Abraham also left familiarity to obey God. Verse number eight says that when he went out, he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, if you're like me and you're a guy, boy, you want to know, if you're going to go somewhere, you want to know where you're going. Doesn't, you know, if someone says, follow me, you know, you can just follow me. Okay, that's cool, but I still like to know where I'm going. I want to know how long it is and how far it is till we get there. You know, just men typically just like to know where we're going. But God said, listen, I want you to leave what is familiar around you, and I want you to go after. You may not even know what the end game is of, the, of my plan for your life, but I want you to obey. You know, the Lord may have some plans for you. Young people, it may be something uh, really, a lot of your life is ahead of you, and you don't know what's coming yet. For some of you adults, there may be another stage of life coming. Maybe you're entering, uh, getting close to retirement. Maybe you're looking at a different stage of life. And, uh, and so God says, listen, if you're going to obey me, part of the plan might end up being you don't know all of where you're going, but you better obey the Lord. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to obey God and the big things, can we start by you obeying in the little things such as being in church, worshiping God, being a part of the great commission, serving the Lord. Abraham left this familiarity and he left security to obey God. You know, just staying in Ur would have been what would have been safe and secure. And sometimes we think, well, this is where I'm rooted down. This is where all my extended family is. This is where, this is just how my life is. This is how my job is. And so I don't know if I want to mess up this. This isn't, uh, you know, it's kind of messing up my security. You know what, folks? Abraham's security was God's, was God himself. 
And since God was his security, he said, well, I'll be all right. Things will be okay. And so he didn't worry about what God's plan was. He obeyed it. And he obeyed it, leaving the world behind, extended family behind, familiarity, and he left security behind. Because the pilgrim, someone with whom God is well pleased, always obeys. But number two is this, is that the pilgrim also has to sojourn. The pilgrim sojourns. Verse number nine says, by faith... He, here's that word, sojourned in the land of promise. You say, what in the world does the word sojourn mean? Well, the word sojourn, it just simply means to, it has the idea of being a stranger, almost like dwelling in a nation, but you're not a citizen of that nation. You ever, um, anyone ever been to a foreign country? Ever been to a foreign, we'll let Canada count, sure. You can raise your hand, be a part of the group. Um, how many have been to somewhere other than Canada? Anyone been to somewhere other than, okay, good, good. Um, yo, and uh, how many of you is for an extended period of time? Anyone extended period of time? Okay, yeah. And you know, sometimes you're in a foreign land, and but you know, especially maybe if you're part of the military or something, and, and you know, you know what? We have some stuff here, but this ain't really home. The United States is what is home. The state of Idaho, the, the Treasure Valley, this is all a part of what is home. And so the pilgrim, he says, the pilgrim is someone who sojourns. In other words, folks, Christians, we are here on this earth, but this is not home. And oftentimes we look at we we look at this earth almost the way the unsaved people look at it, as if like this is it, this is as as good as it's going to get. But a pilgrim is someone who sojourns, which means his life really is countercultural. In other words, it's not like the culture. I didn't say it's anti-cultural. I said it is countercultural. In other words, uh, someone who is a Christian who God is well pleased with is someone who will not always totally fit in. For example, Abraham. Uh, his religion was different from the others. The others believed in multiple gods. Abraham believed in one God. Uh, the people around him had different standards of morality. Abraham's standards of morality were different. They were rooted in the character of God. Friend, is your... Um does your morality look different from the world that is around you? Is your morality based on God's word and God's character instead of on the world around you? His very worldview was different. I mean, now Abraham was, uh, you know, he was at times involved even in the politics of the land. You can read that in, Gen in the book of Genesis. But he was not afraid to be different from his culture. Sometimes we are so scared that if we don't look like the typical American, that we are somehow, uh, that we are cheating ourselves or that we are cheating our children. If we can't give them the American dream, but a pilgrim is someone who's sojourning. He's someone who is counterculture. He's not totally like the culture. He's also though, and I use this word, he's a camper. Verse number nine says that he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Tabernacle is just a fancy word for tents. In other words, he didn't have any really tied down land. Now, he did own a little bit of property uh, for, for his wife's burial place, but Abraham did not own a whole lot of property because he was not as interested in property on this earth as he was for things that would last in eternity. Notice then that the pilgrim, as he sojourns, a pilgrim is someone who disciples his family. Verse number nine says that as he was called out and obeying God's plan for his life, verse nine says he was dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. 
Well, who are those men? That was his son and his grandson. In other words, one of the greatest things that Abraham did was that he got his children and his grandchildren to follow along in following after the one true God. Friend, can I tell you something that is more important than all the land that you can buy and all the ground that you can accumulate is seeing that your children serve and love God. Folks, if you have just a little bit less property, but you've got a child who is off somewhere serving the Lord, listen, I'm not there yet, but I've been told by way too many adults, it is worth it. It is worth it to not be so focused on stuff, but to be more concerned about are my kids and my grandkids, are they uh, pursuing after God? Instead of focusing on accumulating stuff, he found that the most important thing he focused on, one of the things was discipling his family. Hey, just think on that. How are you doing at teaching the next generation, your children, your grandchildren, teaching them about the Lord? Are you turning, uh, making the next generation into a generation that trusts, obeys, and believes God? Or are we turning out a generation that's going to live for self, careers, and sports? What are we? What are we building? What are we making? So a pilgrim obeys God. A pilgrim also sojourns, but a pilgrim also invests. Verse number ten says that Abraham, for he looked. Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations. And it says, in, and it says in verse number ten, whose builder and maker is God. So the pilgrim is someone, as we're going to see here in a moment, is someone who invests. Now I don't know about you. I don't do a ton with investments. You know, I have uh, I have a life insurance policy. I have an IRA that's gotten that I've gotten started. I have a little bit of stocks. Now some of you might be a lot more into it than I am, but we're used to. You know, you probably somewhere in your life have invested your money in something that has some value. You know, what, where do you invest in? What do you invest in? Because you know something is that we all have, let me give you these, um, these things. We all have time. We all have money, different amounts of it. We all have energy, different amounts. And we all, uh, we have time, sorry, I forgot the last one. We all have time, we all have money, we all have energy, and we all have health. Well, the same amount of time. The rest of them, we have varying amounts of them. But where do you invest your time, your money, your health, and your energy? What gets those things? If you were to have to write out a report, if you were to have to write out a report on where you spent the most amount of energy that makes you tired, if you were to write out a report that said where you spent your health, if you were to write out a report where you spent your money or how you spent your time, where would it be invested in? You know what Abraham did is that he took his time, his money, his, uh, his uh, health, and his energy, and he invested them in what would last in heaven. Because you know what it says there? It says in verse 10 that he was looking for a city that hath foundations. Why? Because as this pilgrim invested, he valued heaven's superiority. In other words, he, he believed that, uh, that being in heaven and the things that would last there were of more value than anything else. But he also valued heaven's permanency. The fact that he says he looked for a city which hath foundations. It's the idea that uh, a city with foundations is one that's not going to disappear. 
It's one that is firmly set and is not going to go away. And, the, and what he's referring to here in verse number 10 is heaven itself. In other words, Abraham, as he lived his life, he lived it in view of, I am living for what will last in heaven. You know, Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, for our conversation, which can be translated as like lifestyle, but also with that is the idea of, uh, is the idea of our citizenship. And Paul said, you know what our, where our citizenship is? Philippians 3.20, citizen, for our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 1.27, he said, only let your conversation, let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, he says that you are, you, you might be a citizen of the United States, but he says the greater place where you are to invest your citizenship lies in heaven. And this world is just a temporary kind of moving point where we are until we see heaven. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Can I tell you something? Some of you are pouring, I mean pouring, your time, your money, your energy, and your health into stuff that one day someone else is going to have. You know that, um, that beautiful car that takes so much of your time and just really consumes it until it's just about, uh, you have time for this hobby, but don't have time for church visitation. You do realize something is that uh, someone else one day is going to have your car. And then also someday, somebody out there is going to smash your car. Did you know that? Someone out there one day is going to smash your car and it's going to be completely gone. It's going to be completely gone. It won't last. But you know what? You just might knock on a door at some point uh, if you came on church visitation and meet someone and pray with someone who asked Jesus to be their savior. And that is something that will actually last. It is something that will actually last for eternity. I like how uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. He says, For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, and so, and so the point is, God's trying to communicate, is that we live so often for our stuff and what we can accumulate and our time, it fills our time, it fills our money, it fills our energy and our health, and we go after this to the neglect of the things that'll last in heaven, such as lost souls. You know, Abraham was more focused, his primary focus was he was more focused on his kids and his grandkids becoming Christians and following after God than he was pursuing after stuff. Now, just to let you know, um, God is not opposed to you having stuff, okay? If God has blessed you with stuff, that is okay. I mean, take Abraham himself. Abraham, at one point uh, in Genesis, you read that he had 318 servants who could fight. 
And by the way, he didn't just carry around like, you know, his, um, his traveling group was not just 318, you know, uh, males between the age of 20 and 35 or something like that, okay? These men would come with families. They'd have spouses. They might have, uh, they might have parents with them. They might have children. And so when Abraham moved from one place to another, it wasn't just, you know, him and a, and a few camels pursuing after him. It was a whole mess of people, which indicated he was very wealthy. Genesis tells us that he had gold, he had silver, he had costly jewelry and clothing, and he also had camels. You say, is that a big deal? That would be like today if I said, hey, you know, so-and-so, he's got Lamborghinis, like more than one of them. We'd all go, oh, he's got money. <laughs> I wonder if when he's going to share it with someone else. And, um, and so Abraham had money. Abraham was wealthy, but he said there is something way more valuable than how much can I accumulate, how much stuff can I get, and he said, I want to labor for the stuff that will last for eternity. You know, I wonder, when Vacation Bible School rolls around, you do realize what Vacation Bible School is supposed to do. It's supposed to bring in children so that they can hear the gospel so that they can get saved. You know, the prime age for, for people to be saved, the most common age when people get saved is between, I believe it's about age 8 or 9 and age 14. And the window, by the way, is getting smaller and smaller. Because it's not like people older than 14 can't get saved, but you know how it is. It's oftentimes harder. So when Vacation Bible School comes around, you know, and pastor comes up here and he says, all right, Vacation Bible School is coming in the month of June, July, August, whatever it is. And we're excited about it. We need people to work and we need people to get on board uh, because we got, we've got all kinds of things we want to do. We want to bring in unsaved kids so we can go out and visit their homes so we can maybe see some adults get saved and we're doing all these different things. And if your first reaction is, well, I'm busy. You know what that's, you know what that is? That is an earthly attitude. Because by the way, we're all busy. But apparently, someone was able to show up for VBS. You know, there's two, there's kind of two attitudes on this. There's the one attitude of, I'm busy, so I can't show up. The other attitude is this, I'm busy. So what could I move around? You know, we could all investigate that, but oftentimes we're very content with the excuse, well, I'm too busy, I'd like to serve the Lord more, but I'm just too busy. Do you really want to get to your retirement years and when your health finally gives out and you think, oh my goodness, my kids aren't living for the Lord, and boy, what's the problem with all, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, we, we need more young people in the church, where's all the young couples, boy, what's going on, what's wrong with our pastor? Usually that's where we land. What's wrong with the pastor? It might be that you literally spent the last 40, 50 years building up, drilling down into this earth and building up a kingdom for yourself here on this earth that is going to burn up one day and is going to be gone when you could have been investing in what will last in heaven, which is souls. But some of you are so bound to this earth. You act like this is all we're going to get. It's almost like you would think that this is it, that this is as good as it's going to get. You know, people, that sounds like the unsaved. Because unsaved people, this is the best they're going to get. Someone dies without the Lord as their Savior, this was the best it's ever going to get. And Christians, we act like this is, this is all we're going to have. And like I said, Abraham owned stuff. But he, that wasn't what he lived for. It wasn't what he found his focus on. It wasn't what he lived for. He lived for what would last in heaven. And so here's finally then is that the pilgrim not only obeys, he not only sojourns, he not only invests, but the pilgrim also desires better. 
He desires things that are better. In verse number 14, it says, For they that say such things, people who declare that they are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, he says, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. One of the things that a pilgrim does is he desires a better place to call home. In other words, Abraham said, this world is not my home. There is a better home out there. It is heaven itself, the place that has foundations, the place that will, not last, that will last for eternity. And he said, I'd rather be involved in investing in things that will last for eternity. You know, if you have, um, if you're, you know, just in your living situation, you know, if you're renting from someone, you know, maybe there's a time where you rented for some, from someone, maybe you're renting now. You know, uh, you know, if you're renting, you know, you do what you need to do to be comfortable, Right? You do what you need to do to be comfortable. And you know, you make a few things. But I'll tell you what, if you're just renting, you're not gonna do too many super expensive overhauls and, and decorations and renovations and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's not really yours. But I'll tell you what, if you buy a house, if you buy a house, my goodness, make it how you want it. You know, renovate it if you want to do that, if God's blessed you with the finances and the ability to do it. Do that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's yours. You know how we look at life oftentimes, we act, like, uh, we act like this world is our permanent home and we invest so much into stuff. Sometimes we just pour and pour and pour our lives and our time and our energy into things, into sports. You know, uh, just let you young people know, in case any of you had any kind of um, super aspirations about being a professional athlete, USA Today said a few years ago that uh, the chances of you getting into professional sports, you have a 0.016% chance of making it. Just, just so that you feel encouraged about that. Okay, just, and so, but you know what also is on the other side of that? Did you know that the Bible also says that you have a 100% chance of standing before God? What do you live for? Parents? If, that's, if that is so important, why is it that we don't mind our kids doing sports practice during church services? I'm just saying, oftentimes we've taught our teenagers, God is important unless there's something you really want to do. And then you sometimes wonder, why did they go off the deep end? Friend, I'm just being blunt. I remember even in my youth group how sometimes people would skip youth group or sometimes other things for the sake of sports. Folks, get your kids involved in sports, but good night. You do know they're going to stand before God one day. Some people will keep their kids back from sending them to camp because they've got to be involved in sports. They have to be involved in some kind of extracurricular activity. Just that you know, my parents made a financial investment Okay, my parents made a financial investment when I was a teenager. You know what they invested in? They invested in Bible camp. They sent me to Bible camp. I did not miss one year from third grade all the way up through from third grade all the way up through the end of high school. It cost them several thousand dollars before it was all done, but they invested in it because they knew that camp that there would be preaching there, there would be loving counselors there, and that I would be confronted with the word of God and that God might change me. And I'm just going to tell you something. When I was 14 and I was at camp, uh, when I was at camp in Wisconsin, and God broke me of some bitterness and I'm preaching today because of what God did at camp. 
So what I'm saying is prioritize the things that will last for eternity. Sometimes we prioritize sports. You know, folks, why is, there, there should be no reason why we're, why, um, if, there's a, if there's a service at our church, there's no reason why we should be at home watching football. There's no reason for that. And folks, I say this, if you know me, you know I am a hardcore Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And it, it's interesting, when I go back to, uh, when I go back, I preach in a church in West Virginia that is a big time Steelers area. And, uh, it's, and it's fun to be in that area. But I'll tell you what is amazing, the people that will skip a church service to watch a Steelers game. And uh, I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter two, where basically God says, you've replaced me with other gods. Cry out to them in your time of need. And see if they answer. And some of you have just put such a priority on watching sports or even on watching TV or on doing different things. Or sometimes we prioritize and I say, and we say, okay, well, I, we're going to have a family activity when we could be at church. Or we're going to be doing this. Uh, I have to be involved in such and such of a club early in the morning so I don't have time for my devotions. People, your club ain't going to last. Sorry to break it to you. But your relationship with God is something that lasts into eternity. It's amazing where people will spend their time, they'll spend their money, they'll spend their wealth and, sp and spend these things. Where are you investing? Are you working towards things that will last in the heavenly city? Or are you just drilling down here into this earth? Uh, Colossians 3 says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're a Christian, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above and not on things on this earth. Hebrews 13, 14 says, for we have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said, I'm willing rather to be absent with the body and to be present with the Lord. You know why people crave heaven? It's because heaven is a whole lot better. And the things that will last in heaven will last a whole, are, are a whole lot better than the things we can gain here on this earth. How involved are you in the winning of souls? How involved are you in, in giving out tracts? How involved are, are you in the church's outreach ministries? You know, what, what is your priority in this life? Because one day your job's going to be over. And again, like I said, Abraham was comfortable, but he didn't. Life was not all about, can I just get more wealth? Some of you, uh, you you're doing fine financially, and yet you cram in more uh, overtime and such. And it's not because you're struggling with bills. It's because you want a 700K house instead of a 200K house. And you have no time for the Lord. You have no time for your family. And all of a sudden you get to, um, you get to 65, 66, you retire. And all of a sudden you're like, where did the time go? Boy, I'm, too t I'm just out of energy now to invest in, in people's lives. What happened? And sometimes we get so involved in our jobs and such, and it's not because we're struggling financially. That's one thing. But it's because we want bigger and better. When we could be satisfied with, look, could we just not be comfortable and, and go and go with what God has for us? So a pilgrim, uh, a pilgrim, as he um, as he desires better, he desires a better place to call home. But he also does not look back at his old home. Verse fifteen says, "And truly, if they've been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return." In other words, he says Abraham did not think back on his old life and think, "Oh my goodness, you know, oh life would have been so much better." You know, there are some people, maybe even some of you. In in this room where you had to give up some 
maybe some big jobs. Maybe it was so that you could serve the Lord. Maybe you were being going to be requested to do some unethical things, and so you had to change jobs, and you've taken a pay cut. And, and so one of the things Abraham says is that he doesn't think back on those things. He keeps them out of his mind because if he starts dwelling on it too long, he's going to want to go back to those things. So he keeps that out of his mind. But verse 16, he says, but now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly, a heavenly country. That's what Abraham was striving for. He was all about what will last in heaven. And it says, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. You know, a pilgrim wants the approval of God. You ever thought about this? You ever, have you ever sat on the idea that God, like for example, when he appeared to Moses, you know, with the burning bush and all that, what was one of the things he described himself as? I know he called himself I am, but he said, I am the God who built the universe. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. I am the God who crafted time itself. He doesn't say that to Moses. He says, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. God, God was very, God was proud of the fact that he was friends with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know, it says here that these pilgrims, that they were so concerned about their relationship with God, and it says, wherefore God was not ashamed to be called their God. What would make God ashamed of us living for this world? When we could be investing our time, our money, our health, our energy into things that will last for eternity. And verse 16 says, for he hath prepared for them a city. In other words, God says, I paid back Abraham for everything that he spent. I have taken care of Isaac and Jacob and paid them back for everything that they have had to spend. God says, I prepared for them a city. In other words, they got what they were looking for. They got the blessing of, the, of, what, I, of what I have for them and of what I could give them. And folks, Abraham wouldn't have wanted to live his life any differently. And he was wealthier than any of us in this room. So why can't we be a pilgrim too? I wonder if sometimes it's just because we just don't see how short life is. We think that this life is everything that we have. And so to close, uh, I want to um, do something. Maybe this will help you remember this. Hang with me because I brought something kind of different here tonight. I have a very bright yellow rope. I hope you can see this out there. It's uh, just about as bright as it can get. Now, um, one of the things about uh, these ropes when I get them is that... Uh, I don't always untangle them when I bring them up, and so they're kind of um, tied up like this and getting, uh, getting kind of stuck and tight. I think I've got the end right here because I really want to um, drag it out. You know what, guys? Help me out here on the front row, would you? Uh, spread, uh, go ahead and kind of grab onto that. See if you can find another end there and get that, um, that kind of pulled out and get that rope untangled. Look at this. I've got, I, I had it wrapped up just so nicely. I thought I'm going to come here and it's going to just kind of uh, un, unravel and then I'm just going to kind of spread out. But instead, I got to get uh, a couple of teenagers to work on this. What this is going to do is this is going to illustrate something for us. I think it's going to be really important because so often we lose perspective how long, uh, of how long our lives are. We lose, we lose perspective of eternity. 
We lose perspective of um, how our lives can be used for the Lord and what God wants to do for us. Because again, we're so often so focused on just what is going on here in this life that we often forget about what is going to last in eternity. You know what? Let me just, uh, let me go from there, whatever you have. Let me see if I can pull it out. Let me grab this one here. You know what, Josh, go ahead and hop, hop up on stage with me right here, if you don't mind. Let's see if we can just get this untangled a little bit uh, up here. And I'm going to hold on to this end right here, and I'm going to kind of pull this one here, and let's just see where we come, and it's, and come down through there. All right, so we might have to do a little bit of sanctified imagination, and just kind of imagine that this rope is a whole lot longer than, than how it is. How many of you have an electrical cord at your house that is like, just like this right now? You have someone like that? Yeah, it is, uh, it's, um, it's not fun, and uh, it's kind of stuck here. All right, so you know what we'll do is uh, we'll just call, we'll call that good. It kind of gets the idea across of what it is. So uh, obviously, this rope, now if we were able to get it all the way, expand out, you're, you're welcome to keep working on that. I'll just hang on to this end down here. Maybe eventually it'll get um, drug out. This is getting longer by the minute. So um, this, this rope, what we're going to do is we're going to let this rope, if you would, represent your life. Okay, and um, some of you think, wow, if only I was that thin, you know, uh, with, uh, with a rope like that. All right, so this whole rope all the way from front to end is going to represent your life from start to finish. You know what? We'll just call that good. You can drop it on the ground and uh, we'll just call it a fail. I appreciate you guys for helping me out uh, with that. All right. So uh, just imagine if you would, that this thing actually went uh, a lot farther out that it, because it would probably reach all the way to that wall and probably go all the way over here to this end. And this thing represents you, you and your life. And this is your time on earth. This is all the years you have on this earth. And you know what is really not fair is the actual, the size of this rope because actually this part right here should be a whole lot smaller. It's actually not a very fair representation. So friend, um, think on this, is that this is, uh, imagine that this is your life this is you. And the thing is, is that depending on our age, you know, some of you, you know, is that reality is, is that you have lived a whole lot of this and you know you're at about this point right here before eternity begins. Some of you are, some of you, man, you're just right about here. You're just getting started on this life. Some of you, uh, you're right here and you're thinking, okay, uh, you might think, oh, well, I'm just right here when you may not even realize it, but you're actually way down here on the, on the rope of life. You may not even realize that your life is about to end sooner than you were planning on. And you know, here is all this time, here is all this stuff and so, so much time of eternity, the eternity, the years, uh, if we can even call it years, I guess it's really technically not even a fair unit to talk about uh, eternity because eternity isn't measured in years and just all this time that souls will burn in hell when you were so disturbed because <sighs> you couldn't get more stuff and you wanted more things and a, a child or a grandchild of yours is now going to they're not get if they don't get saved it's going to be lost for all of this eternity because when you were right here 
Instead of saying, wow, look at this eternity. I've got to get my kids invested in eternity. I've got to start um, getting involved in things in church so that we can see people get saved and do something about, about eternity. Instead of doing that, you were saying, okay, so this is my life right here. And I'm going to be, now I'm right about here in life. So I'm really, I'll tell you what, in this whole thing, it is really important that I do something right here. So I'm going to spend all this time right here getting ready for this part right here. So that this, because this is a really significant part of my life right here. This is so important. I've got to spend all my time here getting ready for this little spot right here because that's really important time in my life, and we forget about eternity. Folks, a pilgrim says, you know what? An investor would say, you know what? If I was going to invest in something, if this, you know, went all the way over there, I, and if I had two sections, I get to invest in this little spot here or in the big part here, you know, a normal person who's investing their money is going to say, I want to invest in this part. I want to invest in what's going to last. Now, some of you you know, like me, I had to take this, uh, I had to kind of take this like test kind of thing where they would decide if you're like a really, uh, if you like to, ri with your money when you invest it, if you like to risk it, or if you like something that's more stable. I definitely leaned much more towards the stable side. And if you're like me, you think, well, it would just make sense to invest in what's stable, what's going to last. And so God says, why won't you last, invest in the things that will last for eternity? You know, uh, to close, um, there's a couple of men, friends in my life, who just mean a lot from my, uh, from my home church. And one of them, one of them, uh, he's, uh, you know, sometimes it's the busiest men that uh, find the time to serve the Lord. And some of us, we have time for our TV, but we don't have time to serve the Lord. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine uh, back in Dothan, and he was, uh, he was a dentist for, for, a longest, uh, for the longest time. And um, he was, and so, you know, he did fine. He, he's doing fine financially. And, uh, you know, and uh, one of the things that I remember very clearly about him is that he was, uh, because he was a dentist, you know, he was able to get a part of these, um, these teams that would go overseas. And what they would do is they would, um, they, they take a bunch of doctors and dentists and nurses and such, they take them overseas, they set up a clinic, and then people from the jungle, people from the bush, they come into this clinic, and the dentists, the doctors, and the nurses, they all take care of their physical needs, but of course, before anyone gets out the door, they have to listen to an evangelist preach the gospel. And, you know, this dentist from my church, he is a major part of that team. And the reason why, you know, some people have heard the gospel that would have never, ever heard otherwise. You know how he has been on a lot of missions trips. He has been to so many foreign countries and it's not for vacation. He has shelled out probably tens of thousands of dollars of his own money. Why? Because this was more important than this. You know something else that he did? He retired a year earlier than he was planning he retired a year earlier. You know why? He said, because we looked at the finances. They had two, uh, both their cars, uh, I believe, are paid off. Their house is paid off. Everything is set. Their kids are all moved out and all that. They basically said, you know what? With, you know, the way retirement is right now and coming in, we are fine financially. So he says, so I'm going to do my retirement a year early because that will allow me to go on more missions trips and will allow me to be available anytime anyone needs anything done at the church. You know what that's called? A pilgrim. Now, not all of us have that time. Not all of us have that money, but we do all have some. Where are you investing it? Are you investing it in just, it's, it's this little bit here where you are just pumping every bit of who you are. Or is this where you invest in?
Which one is it? I'll tell you what, one will bring you to the end of life saying, thank God that I was a part of what will last forever. Or are you a part of the little bit that will one day burn up and be gone forever? I hope that you're investing in what will last because a pilgrim invests in what will last for eternity.